Hey guys, what's up? It's Chelsea with the Sass Snack Files back for another episode after our season two mid-season break. And today we're going to be talking about 208 The Fox's Lair, appropriately named for Jeannie's piece of work grandfather and the episode that ensues. I actually wasn't too crazy about this episode. It's not one of my favorites. In fact, if you listened to the very first episode that Rebecca and I did together, it was my least favorite episode of the series. Can't wait to get into this one with you guys, talk a little bit about my likes and dislikes. But before we get into the episode, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassanek Files on all kinds of listening platforms including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head over to check out the Sassanac Files blog at www.thesassanacfiles.com. The most recent article on there is a piece about Prince Charlie and the Jacobites. It kind of gives some background information into who the Jacobites were, and what they were fighting for. Some pretty interesting stuff. So if you want a little more detail about the second half of season two and kind of the history behind that, you might check out that article. I also want to take a moment to ask you guys, if you like what you're listening to with the Sassanac Files, please make sure to rate and review on your favorite listening platform. Ratings increase circulation, and we want to make sure to get the Sassanac files out there to as many people as possible. So if you could take a moment to do that, I would be most grateful. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Season 2, Episode 8, The Fox's Lair. This episode is always kind of bittersweet for me because I feel like it has a lot of great content, There are a lot of good scenes between our main characters and between our main characters and secondary characters, but at the same time, there are a lot of bad things. (laughs) So I'm going to save a section at the end for kind of my bitch session about all the things I didn't like about this episode so that it's not completely appearing like I absolutely hated it and there was nothing that I liked because there were definitely plenty of things that I liked about this episode. The first one being that I really appreciated all of the tender moments at Lollybrock and I think this is a reoccurring theme for me because in season four there was a bit of time at Lollybrock and in the books it was way more time and I was really disappointed we didn't get very much there. So it's kind of the same here in season two. And in book two, we spend a bit more time at Lollybrock than we actually get in the show. And I kind of get it. But at the same time, seeing what they cut later on down the road, a couple of episodes, I'm like, really, we had all of that that wasn't in the books. And we had content that was cut. So that kind of hurt my soul a little bit. But the good things that we did get, you know, we pick up right in Scotland and it's this homecoming with all of this great, great cinematic shots of the beautiful Scottish countryside and the glens and the lochs and the mountains. So gorgeous. And we kind of zero in on Jamie and Claire and Ian and Jenny just living their life every day kind of things, you know, they just got the post and 
They're talking about how the plowshare is broken and they're going to have to hand till and just Jamie and Claire are all cuddled up and kissing each other and staring lovingly into their eyes and remembering where the last episode left off with them having just lost their child to see that it kind of has been a bomb. They've just been able to heal in the Highlands and they're surrounded by family. So that's great to see. And then, of course, in true Outlander fashion, it's just shattered in an instant. (laughs) So it was good to see that. But um, let's take a moment to discuss why that perfect moment of happiness gets shattered with what's going on with the Jacobites. So when we left Prince Charlie in France, it appeared that he'd given up all hope of ascending to the throne of Britain. And now all of a sudden, Jamie gets a letter in the post from Jared saying, oh, I'm so glad that you, you know, you stepped up. Congratulations. I support you 100%. I'm praying for you, etc, etc. And he's like, what? And he flips to the next page of the letter, which is a copy of this declaration of intent from Prince Charles Edward Stuart with a Stuart crest on it, saying he's landed in Scotland, he's mustering his supporters, and they're going to take back the throne of Britain. Hold the phone, because if you look at the bottom with all the supporters that have signed and pledged their loyalty to Prince Charlie, Jamie's signature is at the bottom of that document. And that's when Claire's like, Jesus H. Roosevelt Christ, <laughs> he forged your signature. And... I think Jamie's just in shock by the whole thing. And this is kind of Paris, again, biting them in the ass because Jamie intentionally got behind Charlie and weaseled his way into Charlie's cause. And now Charlie thinks that Jamie is a believer, a true supporter and a friend. And so didn't see any problem with forging Jamie's signature because he thought that Jamie was one of his biggest fans. And so he never even thought twice about Jamie supporting him. And so now Jamie's signature has been attached to this document that brands him a traitor to the British crown. Again, folks. So he just got a pardon through from the King of France. He arranged it with the British crown because of what Claire did at the end of Faith. This all just got cleared up. And it's probably been a couple months of Jamie being a free man, not having to hide who he is. He can walk around freely for the first time in years. And now he's a traitor again because of stupid, stupid Charles Edward Stewart. (laughs) So that's kind of where we're at. And Claire's worried about it. Jamie's worried about it, obviously. And I'm really glad that editing-wise, they made the choice that they did because this whole scene, the beautiful Scottish landscape and them having their wonderful family moments up into the opening of the letter and all of that was originally supposed to be tacked on to the end of Faith, 207. And then it was supposed to kind of cut to black and that was going to be the mid-season finale and we were going to have to deal with this later. I'm really glad that they ended it the way that they did with Paris being the first half of the season and then saving all the Scotland stuff for the second half of the season. I think that it made more sense to do it that way. And we are kind of faced with this whole new problem 
and reemergence of Prince Charlie when we get to the second half of season two. So fast forward to this beautiful scene between Jamie and Claire. I think it's probably my favorite scene of the episode when Jamie's just kind of out in the fields processing. You get that lovely image of him with his foot propped up on the log that has made so many gifs over the years. Knee porn, for those of you that don't get that reference, (laughs) that's where it's from. Claire approaches and she's kind of just wanting to pick Jamie's brain on where he's at. And she's like, well, we could go to Ireland, you know, we could get out of here because you're a traitor again. Like, your name on that document brands you as a traitor to the British crown. And if they catch you, you will be hung as a traitor. There's no getting out of it this time. They mean business. Jamie is pondering this. He's really thinking about it because they've spent the past eight, nine months to a year in Paris fighting to change history, to stop the Jacobite cause from happening altogether. And now Jamie's thinking, well, what if we fight? And what if we try to put all of our weight behind the Jacobites instead of against them? Because it also changes the future if they win. So they did it Claire's way. And now Jamie's like, you know what? We're going to do it my way. Because Claire's way is to pick up and turn tail and run. Because she knows what's about to happen. And she's not about that. Can't say I blame her, honestly. But Jamie's thinking about all of his tenants. He's a layered. He has families depending on him for food, shelter, money, all of that. And then he has his own family to think about, his sister and her husband, all of their children. So it's about more than just Jamie and Claire, and Jamie sees all of that. And he's like, well, if the best shot that I've got for my family in Scotland is to give everything I have to this cause and to fight and support it, then that's what I'm going to do. So that's where Jamie's at in this whole thing. And Claire agrees to support him, which I think is beautiful that they have been through all that they've been through. And she sees it as much as he does that there's not another option here. Like this is the only one that they can live with because as much as Claire wants to go to Ireland or America and get as far away from Scotland as she can, she knows that she is also responsible for all of these people. She's Lady Lollybrock. And so as much as she wants to go, she has a responsibility as much as Jamie does to these people. So she throws her weight behind supporting Jamie and doing everything she can for him. So that's what's kind of going on with the Jacobites at this point. As they're preparing the men and everything, Jamie says, okay, Myrta, you take the men and we'll meet you in Kilusi, I think is what it is. We'll meet you there in two weeks time. (laughs) And they're like, okay, well, where are we going? Is what Claire said. He's like, oh, we're going to go to uh, Lord Lovett and see if we can get his support kind of under his breath. <laughs> because Jenny's standing right there and she hears him anyway. And she's like, uh, say what? What the heck could you want from Lord Lovett? <laughs> and now Claire is totally lost. Like she knows she's missing some vital piece of information. And she's like, who the hell is Lord Lovett? And they're like, uh, our grandsire. So now we're getting a little bit more of the full story with this guy 
And he really sounds like a piece of work, doesn't he? Like, even before you lay eyes on him, you're like, great, I just don't think I'm going to like this guy. (laughs) Jenny says to Jamie, it would be a fool's errand to go and ask this man for help. He's not going to help you. And there's a lot of bad blood between Lovett and Jamie and Jenny. And I think more so bad blood between Jenny and Jamie's father, Brian, and Lord Lovett, a father and son relationship with a lot of tension that has kind of leaked over into a grandfather-grandchildren issue. So I think Jamie's probably a little bit optimistic that he can persuade his grandfather to help him. He hasn't ever really had a relationship with his grandfather. In fact, it goes into it a little bit in the book that the only real encounter that Jamie ever had with his grandfather was when Brian sent Jamie off to school. It just so happened that Jamie's grandfather was there. And let me tell you, nothing just so happens in this series. There's always a reason behind everything. So Brian had made it so that his father just so happened to be at the same port where Jamie was taking off on ship to go to school, just so Brian could show off his tall, strapping, smart young son and be like, you know what, I did okay, despite your best efforts. So it's kind of just like a snub for Brian, which really makes me excited to get the Brian and Ellen story from Diana Gabaldon this whole episode, because it lays out all the tension between the Frasers and the Mackenzies and how much of a big deal Brian and Ellen's marriage actually was. It's really interesting. So I can't wait to get more details on that because There was bad blood, as Jamie said, between the Mackenzies and the Frasers. Lava actually tried to have Ellen Mackenzie kidnapped to prevent the marriage of uh, Brian Fraser, his son, by the kitchen maid and Ellen, which is Colum and Dougal's sister, Jamie's mother. And so there was this big attempt to do that. And when that failed... I think he pretty much disowned Brian and only when Ellen died did Fraser of Lovett try to kind of mend fences and he showed up at Lollybrock after Ellen died and Brian said, "Uh, get the hell off my land, you're not welcome here. And so that is the only time in this TV series anyway that... Fraser has had any sort of interaction with Jamie and Jenny, their father and their family. So it's very interesting that now Jamie has to go to his grandfather and ask for help. Of course, he has this reputation with his grandchildren based on all the stories that they've heard about him. You know, Simon Fraser of Lovett is not an honorable guy. He only does things that are going to benefit him. He's had three marriages two of which are um, questionable. So at least one that I can remember the story of, he seduced this young woman and then basically ended up raping her to coerce her into marrying him because if she wasn't a virgin, then no other man would marry her. So therefore she married him. And I think that might be young Simon's mother, I think, is who that might that young lady might have been. So that was just one example of 
Simon Fraser Sr.'s wives. So that's just kind of the man that he is. And I'm going to do a blog article kind of about his history and some of the other historical figures on the back half of season two. So you guys can kind of get an idea of who he is and what ended up happening with him later on down the road post-show. So that's Lord Lovett. And of course, then there's the other half of this rivalry. The reason that Jamie doesn't really know his grandfather is because his mother is a Mackenzie. So now you have Colm coming into the mix. Colm is obviously the laird of the Mackenzies of Leoch. And he's Ellen's younger brother, actually, because Ellen is the oldest of the Mackenzie children. But he's in charge of the clan. And so he knows that Lovett did all of these things to his sister on top of other clan politics, I'm sure. So they do not get along at all. But Colm has shown up at the castle to form a truce between the Frasers of Lovett and the Mackenzies of Leog. Because he knows that Prince Charlie is in town and he's gathering his supporters. And Colm, having been around for the first three Jacobite rebellions, knows that this isn't going to end well. So he also knows that if he can get the support of Fraser of Lovett, then some of the smaller clans will follow and they will not pledge their support to Charlie. And then if Charlie doesn't gain enough support, this rebellion is just going to melt away and the British will leave Scotland alone and there won't be a war. The whole point of Colm being there is because he doesn't want a war. And I think that we really see this motivation showcased in how he behaves towards Jamie. We saw in season one that Colm wanted Jamie to succeed him as Laird of the Mackenzie clan. And that was why he was so pissed at Jamie when he married Claire. Because he knew that the clan would not support Jamie as the next Laird if he had an English wife. So now we kind of see the development of Colm even further because I really do feel like Colm cares for Jamie as a son, much like Dougal does. They took Jamie under their wing when Ellen died. They were the his main influences. It was common back in the 18th century for young men to be fostered by more senior members of their family. So Jamie lived with Colm and Dougal for different amounts of time, and they're really fond of him. So I think Colm really worries about Jamie when he sees that not only is Jamie a supporter of the Jacobites, but he's throwing himself heart and soul into this cause. Colm knows how this is going to end, and he's doing everything he can to protect Jamie and dissuade him from this course because he knows that's not what Ellen would want, and I also feel like he's worried about him. So there's that, and there's two scenes that really showcase this. So there's the one scene where Jamie's telling Colm, I can't tell you how I know, but just trust me, I do. We need to fight. We need to win this. And Colm's like, you sound like a crazy person. 
This doesn't make any sense, Jamie. Like, you need to tell me how you know, because saying I just know and I can't tell you, that's not helping me to get to your side of things. I need to know how you know. But Jamie knows that if he tells Colm, oh, Claire's from the future and she saw what's going to happen and it's not pretty, that's just going to cement Colm's perspective even more. He's going to hunker down and defend his side of things even more. So there's that scene. And then after the neutrality agreement is signed and Jamie is still planning to fight in the rebellion when Colm is getting ready to leave. And he turns to Claire and he says, can't you persuade him to give this up? And Claire says, you've known him longer than I have. What do you think? <laughs> like, no, once Jamie is set on something, there is no changing his mind. And I what Claire isn't saying is that she knows why Jamie's doing this and she supports him for doing it. What's holding me back from really accepting Colm as a good guy is this one deleted scene that was included in the season one behind the scenes stuff on the Blu-ray where Colm essentially threatens to have Claire killed because she's in the way of Jamie taking over as the Laird of the McKenzie clan. And I know that I shouldn't take that into account because it was cut for a reason. They decided that they didn't want to portray Column that way. But uh, that Column is the Column of the books, the very cold and calculating Column. And I think that he softens as he gets older and he accepts his own mortality. And I think we do see that later on in um, season two episodes. We see him contemplating his own mortality and admitting his mistakes. But in this episode, I really do get the vibe that he cares about Jamie and he wants what's best for him just as, a, as he would his own son. So I guess we'll leave it at that. But I appreciate Colm's stance, even though he wasn't exactly the most honorable in how he went about it. But I really did view this entire episode as a war of wills and a war of wits. So... Sam Hewen made a comment prior to season five airing that as Jamie ages and gets older, we really see him start to be more like his uncle Colum in that he's not as rash about his decisions and he really thinks about things. He internalizes things before he speaks. He's very intelligent and quick-witted. I agree with that, but I also want to take a moment to like point the finger and be like, uh, Jamie gets it in a more direct route because his own grandfather was like that. <laughs> so um, Jamie didn't really have a choice but to be, I hate to use the word manipulative because he's Jamie, but he really can be manipulative sometimes. He's very good at it and he gets it honest. So, um, so yeah. This episode is the beginning of seeing Jamie develop that side of himself, I guess. So, and I think we see it even more because he's up against two men that are very much like that. That's how they operate. So it comes out in Jamie. We see it more because he's in that environment. I want to take it back a little bit because I, I mentioned Lolly Brock and how we didn't get much time there. And I was kind of disappointed about that. 
But we really did get some wonderful moments just in the short 15 minutes that we were at Lollybrock. We got some great scenes. One of them being when Jamie is on the couch talking to the baby, his little niece. And oh my God, if this wasn't one of the most adorable scenes I have ever seen. And it really just gutted me because... I was feeling what Claire was feeling in that moment, staring at Jamie holding his newborn niece, envisioning him holding his daughter. And I knew that's what Claire was seeing in that moment too, how good Jamie would have been with his daughter and how much Claire yearned for that in that moment. And I know that's what Jamie's feeling too, you know? I think you can't help but feel that knowing what they both just went through, that they're longing for something they won't have and regretting what happened and mourning what happened because they want that little girl that James holding to be their little girl. And so it breaks my heart in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think Jenny said it best. She said, you can talk to a wee one in a way you can't talk to anyone else. You can pour out your heart to them without choosing your words or holding anything back at all. And that's a comfort to the soul. So it was intentional that this whole scene was in Gaelic for Jamie because it doesn't matter what the words were. It's the intent behind him. And it's the fact that he's pouring out his soul to this little baby that can't understand a word he's saying But it's therapeutic for him and it's helping him because Jamie has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's just received the letter that we were talking about with his name signed on it. He's been declared a traitor to the crown. He's lost his daughter. He's debating what he's going to do in this moment. Is he going to fight or is he going to run? He's got all of these people's lives depending on him and he he can't sleep that's the whole point of this scene he can't sleep the baby can't sleep the baby can't understand him but he can voice all his troubles to the baby he can talk to this child in a way that he can't even talk to claire he can air his doubts and his misgivings and his frustrations all of it he can lay it bare to this little baby And so it was really just a touching, touching scene, really. It just makes me smile and it makes me cry all at the same time. So this was one of the scenes that really saved this episode for me. Then, of course, you have all the goodbyes. And spoiler alert, this is the last time Claire and Ginny will see each other. This is their goodbye, goodbye. She says, look after my brother and take care of yourself. And I love the little goodbye that Claire and Ian even had where she was like, take care of your Fraser. And he says, take care of yours. But the really cute scene was the goodbye between Jenny and Jamie because it's such a brother-sister goodbye. I have a younger brother as well. And so I could really just envision how this conversation would go. You know, Jenny tries to do something sweet and caring and she gives Jamie the rosary that she gave to Ian. And she says, this brought Ian back safe to me when you went to France. And instead of taking that as the touching gesture that it was, Jamie looks at her and says, 
you gave Ian a token when we went to France and not me. And he wasn't even your betrothed at the time. (laughs) Jenny's like, don't make me regret giving it to you. You know, so I think that Jamie did it on purpose because that's the type of person he is. He's trying to keep it light because he knows how serious this is. And he wants to lift the burden off of everybody else as much as possible. That's just the way he is. He wants to take the responsibility from everyone else and shoulder it all, which is an endearing quality, but also a really frustrating one. (laughs) Jenny hugs Jamie and she says, if you don't come back, brother, I'll never forgive you. And he says, never is a very long time. And she replies, I know. (laughs) She's like, I'm serious. I will never forgive you. I just got that on a level that I feel like if you don't have a sibling, you don't get just like the faith episode. And if you don't have a child or if you've never lost a child, that's an episode that doesn't hit you as hard. It's just the way that it is. You you can sympathize with a situation, but you can't understand it unless you've been through it. So I think this scene between Jamie and Jenny really gets me because I've had a brother who was in the military and I have sent him off on deployment and put on a brave face and I know how that is. So this scene always really strikes me as in a special way, I guess. (laughs) And with all of that out of the way, it's time for Chelsea's bitch session. (laughs) I'm really going to try to make it not all negative Nancy stuff. This is just stuff that I noticed that bothered me and then it all compiled into an episode that I wasn't a huge fan of. So if you take one of these things on its own, it's not enough to ruin the episode. But when it combines, it starts to really add up. So I'll start off with just a really minor thing that kind of always catches my attention when I watch this episode. The scene when Jamie is telling Claire that his father was a bastard, that his mother was Lord Lovett's kitchen maid, that's actually a really good scene. And I really, really love that scene because Claire has this great line where she's like, you must know that your father's parentage makes no difference to me. Like, you have to know that. And he's like, well, it should. So I love the little banter that they have. And any scene between Jamie and Claire always makes my heart swell. But the way that they ended this scene, so first off, why on earth did Jamie have to take his shirt off in this scene? Like, you guys know me, I love Sam Hugh and I find him incredibly attractive, but I honestly did not get it. I thought it was a little gratuitous in this scene. Like, we had absolutely no need for Jamie to have to take his shirt off, especially considering he still had his boots on, guys. He still had his boots on, but they had him take his shirt off. That bothered me. And then the way that they ended the scene, he lays Claire on the bed and he's just standing there in silhouette and they fade to black. Like nothing happened. It made me feel like it was a half finished thought. They didn't know how to cut that scene. So they just ended it with an almost love scene that wasn't really a love scene. That's how I felt that that scene ended. So that always bothers me in this episode. Second would be... Jamie with his conversation with his grandfather. Again, a good scene on its own. A great scene even. Because you're getting the relationship between Lovett and Jamie growing and evolving. Because 
they've only known each other through what Brian has said. And so this is really the first real conversation they've had one-on-one. It was really good. You know, Jamie's like, what do you want? What do you want, old man? I'm not going to pledge you my loyalty if that's what you want. You know, the whole story with Lollybrock comes into it. And it was a great conversation. And then Lovett threatens Claire. I thought it was very interesting that Jamie kept his cool during that. Which, I mean, I guess, in all seriousness, if you're thinking that old man Lovett is a threat to Claire, that is kind of comical to think about. But I was very surprised that Jamie kept his cool like he did. Especially when he was like, well, I'm not going to be the one that does anything. But, you know, I've got a lot of men that live in this castle. And then when Jamie threw the whiskey into the fire and it just exploded, I was like, okay, let's be theatrical about it. There were a lot of overdone moments in this episode. I felt that that was one of them. And then I also felt that the fortune telling scene when Claire interrupts the signing of the deed of Cezine. When that that all goes down, I can't help but cringe every time I watch that scene because I get the point of it that it's Katrina pretending to be a bad actor, but in reality, I'm just like, what are we doing with this? I don't get the point of it. Like, I do get the point of it, but at the same time, Claire has literally spent the past season and a half trying to convince everybody that she's not a witch. And now she comes out in front of a room full of people and was like, oh, not only am I a witch, but I have visions of the future. And she's condemning the Laird of the clan to death by executioner. Like, that's the future that she's foreseeing in front of this room full of people. So, yeah, I have trouble with that. I felt that it was not so well acted, which I know was intentional because it's Claire. Katrina being Claire, who's pretending to be a witch. So it was intentional bad acting, but still a little overdone. But the biggest crux of this episode, by far, was the return of Leary. And I know I'm not alone in how I feel about this. If you have not watched season three yet, you might want to fast forward a bit on this one (laughs) because I'm about to go into spoiler territory on this. Also going to get into some book stuff because this is where my major pet peeve comes in on how they adapted this episode. So normally I try to keep my opinion of the books and the show separate because I realize that they are separate entities. But in this situation, I really feel like they screwed the pooch. They brought Leary back for one purpose only. And that was to apparently soften the blow when we find out that Jamie has married Leary in season three. Soften the blow, folks. Yeah, they wanted Leary to be empathetic. They wanted us to feel for her. And I'm like, no, I don't want to feel for her. She tried to have our main character murdered, burnt at the stake as a witch. There's no coming back from that, in my opinion. And I know that some arguments are that she was just a young girl. But damn it, you do not try to have somebody killed because they're married to the person you have a crush on. (laughs) Like, that is crossing a line. I do not care how young you are. End of story. 
And so this is how I feel because even Claire kind of viewed it that way in the books that she was young and she made a mistake. (laughs) Okay, she's a more forgiving person than I am. Let's just put that out there right now. So that's why in the books, Claire never told Jamie what happened, that Leary was the reason that Claire was arrested in Cranesmere. So when Jamie married Leary in the 20 years when he and Claire were apart, he had no clue whatsoever that Leary was in any way responsible for Claire being arrested and tried as a witch and nearly murdered. That is a decision that the showrunners did not agree with, apparently. And so they decided to go their own way, which resulted in this episode, and which also resulted in a lot more hate for Jamie in season three. Because, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because he knew that the woman that he ended up marrying tried to murder Claire and did it anyway. But that is something that we can address in season three. Mainly what I'm frustrated with in this episode is that they brought Leary back to make her a more sympathetic character. And I didn't agree with that because that's not the way it was written. And that was not a necessary movement of the plot. That wasn't something that they had to put in for a specific reason. In fact, I think it did more damage than good. So, yeah. That was my biggest pet peeve of the episode, and I think if you talk to any book reader, that is probably their major pet peeve of the episode as well. There were also a lot of family details and political details and things like that that were left out, according to the Lord Simon Fraser of Love It. That whole situation got really condensed down because of the Leary stuff that got thrown in there, so... We missed a lot of the important political things that were going on at that time in the book plot because we were trying to make Leary sympathetic. So that kind of thing in the adaptation of it where we lose good important information for a show added plot frustrates me more than anything. If they have a good reason for what they're doing and it condenses things and it makes it easier to follow, I 100% support that. But I felt like they were just kind of doing their own thing with this episode and I didn't appreciate that at all. So I'll get off my soapbox now. That is the end of my bitch session. And now I want to move forward. So my performance of the episode was a newbie. Clive Russell, he plays Lord Simon Fraser of Love It. I felt like he did such a good job making Lord Lovett a disgusting fiend and a turd, as one of you put it on Facebook. (laughs) Yes, Simon Fraser is a piece of work, and I felt like Clive Russell did a fantastic job. He's not at all what I pictured for Simon Fraser, because in the book, Simon Fraser's kind of a small little man and he has wooden teeth and he's just all around nasty, but he's old, you know? And But when they cast Clive Russell, you can also totally see him as Jamie's grandfather, you know? You can see where he gets his conniving nature and he's huge, which, I mean... If we're trying to draw the parallel between Jamie and Lord Fraser... Um, yeah, then that makes sense as well. So I get why they cast this guy. Plus, he just has a presence about him that makes him really great to watch. So I thought that Clive Russell did a fantastic job 
portraying Lord Simon Fraser of Love It. As far as my quote of the episode, I'm giving it to the scene with Fraser and Jamie, where he says, implying your grandmother's a whore to keep what you want. You're my kin, all right. Would that my son had half your medal. So, yeah, (laughs) when Jamie did that, I was like, yep, there it is. That's the War of Wits that I was referring to. So it's just kind of them bouncing off of each other. And I appreciated that aspect of the episode because it's a really a development of Jamie's character, I felt like. So I appreciated that aspect of the Fox's Lair. And with that, that about wraps up what I have to say about the episode 208, The Fox's Lair. But I do have a few listener comments on The Fox's Lair. So... Let me get into that. Brenda Castle said, Not my favorite episode. I didn't care to ever see Leary again. Ever. Love it was indeed a turd. So that's where my turd comment came from. I did find it funny towards the end when Jamie commented to Claire, Please tell me I'm nothing like him. And she couldn't. Renegotiating honesty agreement. (laughs) That was such a fantastic scene. I always laugh every time I see that. It was the humor coming out in Jamie again, but I also think there was a part of him that was entirely serious. And Claire's reply to that is, I must admit, I have seen a similarly devious turn of mind. (laughs) And yeah, Jamie says, I think I'm going to have to rethink our agreement not to lie to one another. (laughs) It was a great scene. I really do love that. And I'm glad that Claire sees it too. (laughs) Yep, he does get that from his grandfather just as much as he gets it from his uncles. I have another from Melinda Long Copland. She says, I always take issue when show writers think they can improve on DG's work. DG being Diana Gabaldon. Having Jamie know about Leary's involvement in the witch trial makes his marriage to her later just ridiculous. Amen, girl. Amen. And him, a jerk. That's also added in there. He would have never betrayed Claire like that. It was much more believable in the book that he never knew of Leary's involvement. Agreed, because Jamie never, 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 ever would have married Leary. Wouldn't even give her a second glance if he had known she tried to kill Claire. Also, it was more powerful having Jenny see a vision of Claire at the wedding, which was foreshadowing that she shouldn't have pushed Jamie to make the match in the first place. So this is getting a little bit into that spoiler territory, um, and it's not something that was included in the show, so I kind of feel like I can talk about it a little bit. Jenny and Jamie have sort of bordering on supernatural abilities. They kind of have a sight in a lot of ways, and Jenny saw Claire standing between Jamie and Leary at their wedding. And Jenny does mention this in the show, but it's not ever really like expanded upon it is a little bit in the books and we can get to that in more detail when we get to season three but I found that extremely interesting and then Melinda goes on to say as for the rest of the episode I thought the show did a good job capturing what an ass grandsire Lord Lovett was and how war makes for unlikely allies at times I 100% agree with that like I said Clive Russell did a fantastic job and the alliance between Colum and Lord Lovett was interesting to say the least. I would be curious to see kind of how that went down. I mean, obviously we know on the face Lord Lovett is an ally, but then he brings his men to go with Jamie and Claire. 
So he's very good at playing both sides against the middle. That's kind of what he does and has done for the past three rebellions, just walking the fine line to keep himself protected, but also doing what he wants. So it's very interesting. He's a sneaky, sneaky character. So those are my two guest comments for the week. Next week, we are going to be talking 209, Je Suis Prêt. And that one is, it's decent in my book. I wouldn't call it one of my favorites just because, again, it's one of those that kind of strayed off the beaten path a little bit. And I get why they did it. And I know that a lot of show watcher only liked it. And if I separate myself from the books, I also can appreciate it. So it is a good episode. Um, Not well adapted, but a good episode. So we will leave it at that until next week. In the meantime, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Have a good one, guys.